We are returning to our summer sermon series, Christ in the Psalms, and this is the second last uh, sermon in this series. We'll be looking at Psalm 23, and the title is The Good Shepherd. And that's, of course, how Jesus identifies himself in the Gospel of John chapter 10. And so before we get to Psalm 23, I'm going to invite Alyssa forward, and she will read from John 10. Bible reading is from John 10, verse 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alyssa. I now invite you, if you have Bibles with you, to turn to Psalm 23. You can also read the text as it is projected above me. We'll read the entire psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. People sometimes say that what matters most is not what you think of God, but what God thinks of you. What matters most is not what you think of God, but what God thinks of you. I think you can recognize the wisdom and that kind of claim, and yet I wonder sometimes whether it's true. Perhaps it's more important what you think of God. Because I have people sometimes who admit to me that they do not believe in God, and whenever I hear that, I say to them, well, who is God? 
and they'll get an answer, something along the lines of, well, you know, the moral police officer upstairs who's quick to find fault and send people to hell. To which I say, well, I don't believe in that God either. Who is the God that you believe in, and what is the image that you have in your mind of God? The Bible gives us many images of God, and the one that we find in this psalm is quite familiar. The Lord is my shepherd. I was going to say that Psalm 23 persists in the cultural memory of Canadians, of North Americans, but I discovered recently that on an episode of Jeopardy, the question was, the name of the Bible book that contains this line, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, and not one of the three contestants could identify the Bible book, let alone the psalm from which that line is taken. The Lord is my shepherd. You may have heard the line before. If you grew up in the church, it's something you've probably read and something you've probably heard quite often, and yet the image of a shepherd is quite distant from us, quite remote. I don't know how many of us here in church this morning know of a shepherd. I don't know of a shepherd. I wonder how many people have spent considerable time with sheep. I haven't spent a lot of time with sheep, and yet shepherds in Israel's economy were central. And some of the most famous characters that we have in the Old Testament were once shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. There are many of them. This psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now this particular psalm, Psalm 23, has a structure. Some call it the structure of history or the structure of life. Some discern in it the sequence of creation, fall, redemption. It may be a bit of a stretch, but there are clearly three stanzas three distinct stanzas, and in each stanza you hear a ringing testimony. In the first one, it is, I lack nothing. In the second one, it's, I fear no evil. And in the third one, it is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Three stanzas, and for our purposes this morning, there are three different images of God that are unveiled. And the first is of the shepherd and his sheep, and the second is of the counselor and his companions, and the third is of the host and his guests. Three different images that the Bible provides to help us understand who God is. The shepherd and his sheep, the counselor and his companions, the host and his guests. The psalm begins and ends with the name of the Lord, the Lord in all capital letters. And I've been saying in this series that whenever you encounter the Lord in all capital letters, it refers to God's personal name that he revealed to Israel. You could just think of it in terms of I am, which is to say that the psalm begins by saying, I am is my shepherd. Now, that sounds a little unusual. Uh, it's not immediately understandable. But again, if you have any familiarity with the Bible, you may know that in the New Testament, Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, often makes I am statements. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the vine, and so forth. And Bible scholars will point out that when Jesus does that, he's identifying himself with the God who revealed himself to Israel in the Old Testament as I am. 
And if you're unpersuaded by that, then I remind you that Jesus also said very explicitly, I am the good shepherd. And so I think we can, as we interpret this psalm, as we seek to understand it, apply it immediately to the Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm is teaching us, we who live in New Testament times, that Jesus is our shepherd. This psalm finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Jesus is my shepherd. And then what you find in this psalm is a wonderful catalog of provisions that Jesus makes. Food, rest, vitality, guidance. Jesus provides for our basic needs without which we could not live. He provides food. Because the psalm says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me, uh, he leads me beside still waters. We human beings are desiring beings. We were created hungry. Adam and Eve wanted something to eat. We are born hungry. Newborn babies often want to be fed immediately. We go through life hungry, craving, desiring things. And Jesus is the good shepherd who provides. He makes us lie down in green pastures and the grass that grows immediately after the rain so we can eat. He provides, secondly, rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Shepherds will point out that sheep never eat. I didn't know this. Sheep never eat when they're lying down. Palestinian sheep would ordinarily not drink from streams, but from wells or fountains. And so Bible scholars will point out that the main point to be derived from the first verse is not simply the provision of food, but the provision of rest. He, the good shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. And Palestinian shepherds would apparently let their sheep rest from about noon to 3 p.m. I wonder this morning, are you hungry? Well, Jesus wants to feed you. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Jesus wants you to rest. These are basic needs that humans have that we share with the animals, in fact. And Jesus is eager to provide. He says in the New Testament, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Thirdly, vitality. He refreshes my soul. He restores my vitality. We need food and we need rest, but perhaps what we need most is spiritual vitality. I want to ask you this morning, where do you go for vitality? What is life-giving for you? Where do you go to be enriched or to enjoy rest? Netflix? Going on vacation? Well, I'm not here this morning to wag my finger. If you watch Netflix, I watch Netflix. That's a good thing to do on occasion. I'm not going to wag my finger at those who go on vacation. I go on vacation. That's sometimes quite necessary. And yet, these exercises that we do, whether it's watching Netflix, going on vacation, are not as life-giving as we might imagine. 
They're often escapes, aren't they, from the toil of the life that we otherwise live. What really drains life out of you? Here's what the Bible teaches, and it's not taught anywhere else so far as I know. Sin does. Sin is what drains the life out of you. It's this point that I was making before that insofar as our lives align with God's will, we flourish in, in a deep sense, not necessarily physically. If we are out of align with God's will, we, we languish to a certain extent. And that's the, the testimony and the experience of the psalmist in so many different places where David will speak of himself being crushed, of himself wasting away. It's this uh, spiritual languishing of living apart from the will of God, sensing the estrangement and feeling the unrest in one's heart and one's mind and one's soul. And David, of course, knew what, what it was to live a life that wasn't in line with the will of God. He famously committed adultery. He famously killed the husband of the woman with whom he committed adultery. And for about a year, he experienced this deep unrest in his soul that felt like God was crushing his bones until finally he cried out. We have it in Psalm 51, don't we? He cried out, God, be merciful to me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me vitality. Restore to me life. Well, Jesus wants to feed you, wants to give you rest, but more than anything else, he wants to give you vitality to refresh your soul. He is your shepherd. And what did Jesus do to ensure that you and I this morning can have this kind of vitality, this kind of deep sense of being alive and flourishing and of being fully human? Well, he went to the cross, didn't he? To defeat our greatest enemies, to pay our greatest debts, to resolve our greatest problems. And Jesus says in the Gospel of John, as Alyssa read, that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. He died to reconcile you to God so that you might live. And perhaps this morning you need to pray, Jesus, you are my shepherd. Jesus, you are my shepherd. And Jesus will respond by saying, and you are my sheep and I'm coming to restore you. I'm coming to return you to life and vitality. It's what he most wants to do. Fourthly, guidance. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. He leads us through danger for his namesake. One's name in the Bible is often connected to one's reputation. To do something for the sake of one's name was to do something that would maintain one's reputation. Jesus wants to maintain his reputation of being faithful, of being someone who doesn't only make promises but keeps promises. What do you lack? 
if you have Jesus, nothing. That's what the psalm is teaching. Jesus is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Whatever we need, he provides. Whatever. He defeated our greatest enemy, resolved our greatest problems, paid our greatest debt. And he will provide us the basics of life without which we cannot survive. Food, rest, vitality, guidance. And he does so through every means at his disposal. Through farmers and through grocery stores. But through the church, through the sacraments, through pastors and elders. He is the good shepherd of John 10, the great shepherd of Hebrews 13, the chief shepherd of 1 Peter 5. Now, what if you really believe this? What if you really believe this? That Jesus is my pastor who provides everything that I need. What else would you need to know? Nothing we face could be too overwhelming. No situation could be too unnerving, too unsettling. If you believe the first line, Jesus is my pastor, you can experience and recite the second line, I lack nothing. The good shepherd guides us along the right path, but these paths we discover are not only paths of happiness, they can be paths of suffering, of sickness. And so we discover as we move to the second stanza, that the scenery changes a little bit from, you know, the, the pleasant pastoral scene to a kind of foreboding darkness. And we discover that Jesus isn't only the shepherd and we the sheep, but that he's the counselor and we are his companions. There is darkness in the world. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, we sometimes have to walk a terrifying path through the darkest ravine. Perhaps you're walking through a dark ravine this morning, experiencing the dark night of the soul. And the darkness here can represent just about anything that's unpleasant and unwelcome in our life. Sickness, suffering to be sure, anxiety, depression... These are common ailments for us all, aren't they? We all experience them, experience them to some degree in life, but for some of us at some times, they are extraordinarily dark. What comfort are you to have when you walk through the, the darkest ravine? Well, the darkness doesn't suspend the music in David's heart. He says, I will fear no evil. And evil here doesn't refer simply to moral evil, but to any kind of physical calamity or tragedy or suffering or sickness. I will fear no evil. How could he say so? Because he was a stoic? Stiff upper lip? Keep calm and chive on? He gives a reason, doesn't he, for why he fears no evil, though he walks through the darkest ravine, and he says, for you are with me. It's quite fascinating in the psalm, because throughout the psalm, you see that the Lord is referred to in the third person pronoun, he, him, and in the second stanza, the Lord is uniquely 
referred to in the second person pronoun, you. For you are with me. You accompany me. And so the great relief that David experiences is not escape from the ravine. That's not what the Bible promises. We do have sometimes to go through dark ravines. The promise that is made, the comfort that we have, is that Jesus accompanies us. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, David says, they comfort me. The rod is a club with which a shepherd would fend off enemies, predators. The staff in the Hebrew Bible is an implement for support that the blind and the aged would use here. It's probably a reference to the shepherd's crook. When the shepherd accompanies you, he protects you. He fends off the enemies. And Jesus, uh, in John 10, of course, distinguishes the good shepherd from the hired hand. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he runs and leaves the sheep behind. But the good shepherd stays with the sheep. He accompanies the sheep. He counsels the sheep in the darkness, in the face of the enemies that he protects you from. Jesus identifies himself as a counselor in John 14, doesn't he? It's uh, sometimes translated advocate. It's the Greek word parakletos, paraclete. And it's the person that you would take to court if you needed a character witness, somebody to vouch for you. This is why uh, Bible scholars sometimes translate the word advocate. But who was the person that you would take to court to defend you, to provide a character witness that was your best friend. Jesus is not only the shepherd and we his sheep, he is the counselor and we, is, we are his companions. He is our best friend who walks with you through the darkest ravine. And that's really what you want when you're experiencing darkness. You want somebody with you. And you have with you Jesus, your best friend. Then lastly and briefly, we see the curtain drop and the imagery changes to a banquet featuring a welcoming host. You aren't just the sheep under the care of Jesus. You aren't just companions of Jesus as counselor. You are his guests, and he is a wealthy and generous host. And we find ourselves at his table and in his house. First at his table, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and the table is full of food, cups full of wine. Jesus is a good host. He anoints our head with oil. This isn't the anointing oil for office or for positions of leadership in the church. This is olive oil that's meant to refresh one's face, to heal that dry skin. We don't have to anoint ourselves. Jesus anoints us. He's a generous host. He fills our cups to the point where they overflow. He came, the Bible says, to give us life and life to the fullest. And when you read through the Gospels, this is what you're seeing in the miracles that Jesus performs. He's come to provide life to the fullest. He changes water into wine. He multiplies bread. And the point is he's come not just to give you water, but to give you wine. He's come not just to provide bread, but to provide bread in abundance Life and life to the fullest. 
And our difficulties in life, the psalm acknowledges, aren't always circumstances. Sometimes they're people, and Jesus is so powerful that he prepares a table in the midst of our enemies. What a fascinating image. We enjoy this banquet in the presence of our enemies, and the thought that comes to mind, it's probably reduces the richness of this verse, but it's of lions, you know, eating the carcass of a wildebeest with the hyenas sitting at bay. You know, the lions and the hyenas are always at war. But when the lions are there, the hyenas don't come close. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. So powerful is Jesus. And how long will this great hospitality last? Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, goodness and love will chase you. They will hunt you down, and you can't escape. When you wake up in the morning, there's goodness and love. When you go to bed at night, there's goodness and love. At every turn, there's goodness and love. But we are not simply guests who are wined and dined at the Lord's table. We're residents in His house, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the purpose for which God created us to live in his house, to be in his presence, to have a relationship with him, to be his friends, to be close to him, to know him, to love him, and to know that we are loved. So what do you think of God? We need to discard at times, don't we, the images of God that we have in our minds that aren't accurate. We need to replace those images, those bad images of God, those false images of God with true images of God, images that are provided in Scripture. You're not a rat in God's great laboratory. He's not running experiments on you. He didn't create you to condemn you. He didn't create you to make life miserable for you and to punish you. But the Bible teaches us that God loves everything He has made. He loves everything He has made. And He sent His Son Jesus into the world not to condemn the world, the Bible says, but to save the world through Him. And you get to know God best through Jesus. He is the good shepherd, the accompanying counselor, the generous host. He goes before you as the shepherd, beside you as the counselor, and he follows you with goodness and mercy. Before, beside, behind. It's like the great prayer of St. Patrick, isn't it? Christ before, beside, behind. You're encircled by his love. And sometimes, and with this I'll conclude, we are in positions in life where the darkness is so overwhelming that we can hardly pray. I've been in scenarios like that. Where your your mind is so disturbed, so distracted that It's almost impossible to formulate a prayer, almost impossible to read Scripture in a prolonged way. And I think in those moments, 
we can do little better than simply rehearse to ourselves, Jesus is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. Whatever he needs, whatever we need, he provides food, rest, vitality, guidance. He's defeated my greatest enemy. He's paid my greatest debt. He's resolved my greatest problem. And if you say, Jesus is my shepherd, Jesus is my shepherd, and begin by the Spirit of God to understand what that means, you'll find yourself experiencing and reciting the next line, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Well, my prayer this morning is that you come to know Jesus as the shepherd who loves his sheep so much that he laid down his life for them. That you come to know Jesus as the counselor who accompanies you through life, your best friend who never leaves you or forsakes you. That you come to know Jesus as the wealthy and generous host who invites you to his table to live in, your, to live in his house who gives you not just what you need, but more than you need and more than you can ever imagine so that you begin to enter into not just life, but life to the fullest. Let's pray together. Our dear Lord, we thank you this morning for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll never, ever really reach that point, I think, where we understand the depth and the breadth of your love that prompted you to give up what was most precious to you, your very son, and for Jesus to give up what was, what was most precious to him, his very life, to see to it that we who were once estranged can be reconciled, brought close, returned to a right relationship with you to return and to be restored to a full humanity, to begin to experience life into the fullest, even in the midst, even in the midst of the darkness and the suffering and the sickness. And so we pray that these images with which you have revealed yourself in your word might be uppermost in our minds and might dispel the false images that we have created of you so that we learn to trust you, so that we learn to love you, and so that we learn that we are loved by you with a love which is inseparable in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing in response, yet not I, but through Christ in me.
We are always excited to see new people join Blessings Christian Church, but we want people to understand that it's a serious thing to join a church and to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and to be committed to the church. And so we have all incoming members take a membership class and in a worship service affirm membership vows. And this morning we're going to have Ryan and Johanna and Heidi Van Hoff and Lloyd and Vicki Rosema affirm membership vows. I'd like to ask these five individuals to stand, please, in order to answer these questions. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God deserving his divine judgment and without hope in this world except through the saving work of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God and the Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon Him alone for your salvation? Do you resolve in humble reliance on God's grace to live as a follower of Christ, to resist evil, and whenever you fall into sin, to repent and return to the Lord? Do you promise to submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to seek after her purity and peace? Do you promise to support this church both in her worship and work and to continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers to the best of your ability? Lloyd, what is your answer? Vicki, what is your answer? Ryan, what is your answer? Joanna, what is your answer? And Heidi, what is your answer? You may be seated. Well, with joy and gratitude, we want to warmly welcome you all into the fellowship and the mission of Blessings Christian Church, and we hope that this congregation is a place where you can grow in your love for and loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ and a place where we can benefit from your gifts. To the members of Blessings, I have reworded what the Apostle Paul says of Phoebe in Romans 16. I ask you to receive these five individuals in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give them any help that they may need from you. We're now going to come to the Lord in prayer, and in our prayer, we're going to pray for Streetlight Christian Church, which is, of course, a mission on the north end of the city that our church supervises. And the Pastor Paul is retiring, and his farewell services tonight and this morning, I believe, is the very first time they're worshiping in their new building at the corner of Ferguson, and I want to say Wilson. Is it Wilson and Ferguson? In any case, a very exciting things happening at Streetlight, the new building, the transition from Pastor Paul to Pastor Winston. And so we'll pray about all of this in our prayer this morning. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Lord, we thank you that we can speak to you in prayer and that you hear us. You incline your ear to listen. You delight in our requests. They ascend to you like a sweet-smelling aroma and give you pleasure. And you hear us not because of who we are, because of the words we say, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our perfect mediator and intercessor. And we are grateful this morning for the incoming members, and we pray that you would be with Lloyd and Vicki, Ryan, Joanna, and Heidi as they join Blessings Church, and we pray that this would truly be a community in which they are pointed to Jesus, in which their love for Him grows, 
their love for others. We pray that this would be a place where they can use their gifts for the benefit of others, for the well-being of the body. We pray that this would be a place where they taste and see your goodness and taste and see it often. Dear Lord, we are so grateful for the partnership that we have with Streetlight Christian Mission for the good work they're doing on the north end of the city, for the ministries they run from their uh, place, for the people that they meet, for the many young people in particular who profit from the programs that they run And we pray that you would forever bless this outreach. We are so grateful for the many years of service that Pastor Paul has rendered at Streetlight. And now that he is retiring, we pray that he would do so with a sense of your approval and blessing. And we pray that you would walk with him now in his retired life as he begins to do things he otherwise did not have time for. We pray that he would experience and enjoy rest and refreshment We pray similarly for Pastor Winston as he assumes the mantle, takes the baton, and continues in the good work that Pastor Paul did. We pray that you would equip him for this work. We so thank you for his gifts and for his uh, vision for Streetlight. We pray that you would supply him wisdom and prudence and discernment and great love for you and others. We're grateful also that Streetlight can now occupy this new building, newly constructed this wonderful facility which gives them so much more potential for ministry in the heart of the city. And we pray that uh, this building would prove to be a refuge for people in this world seeking solace, needing protection, the solace and protection that Jesus alone can give. We're grateful for this city and for our neighborhoods and for all the things that we enjoy here in Hamilton. We pray for our mayor and for city councilors, for city staff, for all of those who are so busy making this city a good place to live. We pray for our neighborhoods and we ask that you would enable us to be good neighbors, to befriend those on the street and uh, to showcase in some way the character of the Lord Jesus Christ And we pray that increasingly people here and elsewhere would come to know Jesus as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, the great friend who is willing to give his life for them. We ask that you go with us now as we uh, prepare to leave this facility, perhaps to enjoy lunch downstairs, but ultimately to go home. We ask that you would go with us, and we pray that though we leave this place, our worship of you would continue from our homes, from our apartments, from the places we live. Uh, Enable us to see Jesus more clearly throughout this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.